Well, good morning. Good morning. It is very good to be with you here this morning. If you'll take your Bible, please, and turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew 11. We hope to have some of those uh, pictures that were taken this morning. We hope to have some of those available for you to see next week. Uh, as we just delight in, in what God is doing in our midst, it is good to look out among you even now and just see, uh, just see uh, families gathered and the family that we share uh, here at East Parkway. Matthew chapter 11. Today is Mother's Day, of course, which I certainly hope does not come as a surprise to you especially to the children and dads. Um, if so, you have blown it big time. <laughs> and, uh, and you have my permission and strong encouragement to leave immediately <laughs> and to make necessary preparations. Uh, as we all know and have experienced, and I mean this with the utmost respect and love, when mama's not happy, ain't no one happy. And so uh, I just want to encourage you. I am excited to be here with you this morning and to bring a message from God's word for the upbuilding and encouragement of the mothers among us. And I want you to know that I do so with fear and, and, and a great sense of trepidation. Mother's Day sermons, believe it or not, are among the hardest to preach. It can be a very touchy subject, and there are many issues involved. Infertility and the inability to have children. Miscarriage, miscarried children, aborted children, wayward children, um, stepchildren, and the unique challenge of a blended family. Uh, there are those who have lost their mother, even recently, and it's hard. Maybe those who have a very difficult mother, and maybe those who, being mothers themselves, are just going through a difficult time. The fact is, that many women avoid church on Mother's Day because it can just be too painful. And I just want you to know I get it. I understand it. At least I think I do on some level. Mother's Day is not necessarily every woman's favorite day of the year, not even every mother's favorite day of the year. And yet the passage before us 
Well, so let me just start, actually. Let me just pause and start by saying this. If that's you, and for whatever reason this morning, you are just finding yourself in a hard place. I just want you to know that often our pain is the pathway God uses to bring you to himself and ultimately to bring healing. Our pain is often the pathway God uses to bring you to himself in order that that we might be comforted and ultimately healed. Titled this message, Christ's Comfort in the Call to Motherhood for this very reason. I believe that God desires to comfort and heal us today, all of us, but perhaps especially the moms among us. This passage before us, Matthew 11, is not addressed specifically to mothers. It's not. It it applies to everyone, every single one of us here this morning. And yet as I ask the Lord for some direction concerning today's service, this is the text that God impressed upon me, the one to which God led me. I've enjoyed my time in the text this week, and I'm thankful And I'm excited to share it with you uh, today. I want us to hear from Jesus, from the very words of Christ this morning. I want want the moms in our midst to hear from Jesus. Uh, I believe Jesus wants to speak with us through these words. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Let's read them together. Jesus says, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Today I want to consider a mother's calling and the call of Christ. Beginning with the call of Christ and then applying or trying to apply it to motherhood. I have three main points from these three verses. Number one, in coming to Christ we find acceptance and hope. In coming to Christ, we find acceptance and hope. Verse 28, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus is talking about those who have become weary, fatigued, burdened through heavy struggle and toil. The word labor implies hard work. The words heavy laden literally mean to be weighed down with heavy loads. Jesus is addressing, in a sense, in one way, he's addressing our physical well-being, but even more so, our spiritual condition. 
in context, in the surrounding passages, we see that he's addressing our sin and the refusal to repent from sin, including the misguided way we often go about trying to atone for sin. Our tendency is towards self-reliance, to work harder, to make ourselves better, to earn some degree of God's favor. Assuming, of course, that we even acknowledge our need for God. Elsewhere, when Jesus uses this kind of language, he, he's seen calling out the religious legalists who burden people unnecessarily by placing all sorts of rules and regulations on them. Which, which does not lighten their load at all but only makes it that much heavier. The problem with this salvation by works approach is that sin itself is so insidious and so offensive to God that we can never work enough. All the, the rule keeping can never undo all the rule breaking. And moreover, our very nature is infected by sin, meaning that even our best efforts are tainted. But Jesus offers true relief. He offers relief from religious legalism, from trying to earn your way and prove yourself and merit commendation before God. In Jesus, we have someone who understands our, our, our labor and our load we don't have to pretend or suck it up or press on on our own. He has atoned for sin and all who come to him are cleansed and forgiven by God. Come to me, he invites. And these are words of acceptance. To be accepted by God makes all the difference, doesn't it? I mean, even for Jesus. Think with me for a moment. You remember his baptism. Just before he was about to embark on his public ministry, the very reason he came from heaven to earth, he was baptized. And we're told that as he was coming up from the water, he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove. And then a voice came from heaven. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. This is a remarkable statement. In other words, Jesus' identity, you are my beloved son, and his acceptance by God with whom I am well pleased, listen, came before he accomplished anything with regard to his earthly mission or ministry. That is to say that Jesus didn't have to earn the Father's love. And neither do we. Christ is calling us. Come to me. He is inviting us. He is welcoming us. He is accepting us as we are.
without having to achieve or accomplish anything beforehand. Nowhere in this passage or any other passage does Jesus expect us to make ourselves acceptable through works or self-effort in love. He simply says, come, and I will give you rest. That's hope. It's the promise of something better. Jesus is saying that you don't have to be weary and burdened any longer. You don't have to carry the load anymore. He comes to you not with condemnation, but with an invitation instead. Come, he says, and with that one word, he reveals the very heart of God. Number two, in coming to Christ, we find grace and truth. In coming to Christ, we find grace and truth. Take my yoke, take my yoke upon you, verse 29, and learn from me. The yoke was a wooden collar that ran across the shoulders of of two animals, usually oxen. The yoke joined them together and enabled them to move as one or work as one. And so when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, he's offering to come alongside you, to uh, to attach you to himself, to love and to lead you. That's grace. That's extending grace. And again, it's not because you've worked for it, but just because he desires to give it. He's freely and fully giving himself for your benefit. The yoke, his yoke, is the gift of himself. It's a gift uh, far greater than any you have ever received or can even imagine. And the yoke, or, the, or back in the day, the, the, the term yoke was also used for discipleship. When, when someone was... When they came under the tutelage of a rabbi and took on that particular rabbi's belief system and way of doing things, uh, he was said to be under the yoke of that rabbi. And so in the same way, we, we can be yoked to Christ. We can come under his teaching, his truth and learn from him. Jesus is revelation from God, and he reveals God to us. He is God and has always existed with God, and yet he became flesh, and he dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. The glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He's not distant from us. He's drawn near to us to be right alongside us. When when you're weak, when you fail, uh, when you feel alone, He is there. He is present with you always. When yoked to Jesus, He gets right next to you. And He teaches, teaches you how life works as intended by God. It's the difference between simply cooking from a recipe or cooking alongside the chef whose recipe it is. As you come to Christ for grace and truth, He does not deal with you harshly or in a rough or jarring way, but tenderly, gently. Take my yoke upon you, He says. Learn from me, for I am gentle 
and lowly in heart. He understands you and his understanding of you. He knows that you are but flesh. That he is lowly in heart communicates humility on his part. Uh, Although he is God, he became a servant. He came not to be served, but to serve. And he seeks out the lost. He seeks the weary. He seeks the burdened. He seeks the heavy laden. It's not the other way around. Take his yoke. Take his yoke and learn from him. You cannot live according to God's design. You cannot live the full and free and abundant life apart from Jesus. But graciously and in all truth, Jesus will show you how. He reveals these things to all who come to him with childlike trust. And that's, that leads us to the third point. In coming to Christ, we find rest and relationship. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The rest mentioned here, the rest mentioned here is not merely I'm tired and could use some rest, rest. It's much deeper than that. It's restoration. It's a returning to the way things are supposed to be. It's peace and fulfillment in knowing that things have been put in order and made right. It's not, I need a nap rest, but soul rest. Jesus says, you will find rest for your souls. Your soul is the very core of your being. The, it's, it's your innermost you. And in verse 28, Jesus promises to give rest, while here in verse 29, he assures that you will find rest. So there is rest that is given, it seems, when we first trust in Christ, when we take his yoke, and there is rest that is found as we follow Christ and continually learn from him. The idea being that the more we trust and follow Jesus, the more our souls are at rest. The more they are at peace with God, the more fulfilled they are in God and by God. And this marvelous cycle of Christ giving and us finding brings rest that penetrates our souls and permeates our entire lives. For my yoke is easy, he says in verse 30, and my burden is light. And I'm struck by this word easy. I want you to notice that word. Not too many things in life are easy. Not too many things in the Christian life are easy. 
In fact, in many ways, being a Christian is much, much harder because following Christ requires self-sacrifice and and a life of service. Serving Christ and, and serving others in the name of Christ can be very, very hard. And yet Jesus says, my yoke is easy. What does he mean? I think he's addressing the condition of our soul, not the condition of your circumstance. I like how one author put it. He says, easy is a soul word, not a circumstance word. Aim at having easy circumstances and life will be hard all around. But aim at having an easy soul, that is, a soul at ease, and your capacity, your capacity for tackling hard circumstances will actually grow. And then he says, the soul was not made for an easy life. The soul was made for an easy yoke. The point is that when Jesus says, come to me, he is inviting you into relationship with himself, with God himself. Come to me, he says, not to a book or or a philosophy or a school of thought, not to a support group of like-minded people, not even to church or to religious activity, but but to me, to me. You see, our souls find rest in relationship with Christ. In coming to Christ, we find acceptance and hope. We find grace and truth. We find rest in relationship. And now I want to try to apply this to Mother's Day. It applies every day, of course to all of us, but I'm thinking particularly of the mothers among us this morning, and obviously I am at a disadvantage in that I have zero first-hand experience in being a mother. But I believe the call of Christ also speaks to a mother's calling and directly into the context of motherhood itself. I believe that moms need to know acceptance and hope in Jesus Christ. A mother knows very well what it is to labor and be heavy laden, doesn't she? I mean, from the the very beginning, from pregnancy, she is heavy laden. And the very act of giving birth is called what? Labor. And that's just the beginning. Hers is a labor of love. From the very beginning of motherhood, she not only carries her own burdens, but those of her children also. Her well-being is very much related to the well-being of her kids. And therefore, her sense of acceptance can be elusive at times. 
It can be up and down. It can be moment to moment. Today, in the realm of motherhood, legalism is still very much alive. Just in the realm of motherhood. Books are written. Blogs are posted. Articles are published. Opinions are shared. Ranging from such topics as disciplining your child and feeding your child and educating your child, vaccinating your child, supporting your child, and on and on the list goes. Even in the church, even among well-meaning people, people can be so strident in their opinions that anyone taking a slightly different approach can become the object of attack. Maybe you've heard the phrase, mommy wars. The mommy wars are still very much alive. I don't want to mention any titles, but believe me, I have thrown otherwise good books in the garbage. Well-intentioned Christian books written by well-intentioned Christian authors simply because the guilt of not meeting their prescribed standard for parenthood became unbearable. They were hurting more than they were helping and even leaving a sense of helplessness and hopelessness. But when a mom finds her acceptance in Jesus, she finds hope. She may be up to her eyeballs in laundry, free, uh, refereeing her kids' squabbles, constant squabbles, it seems, juggling their constant questions, hearing the words, hey, mom, more than she can count. She balances home and work and ministry at the church, and then her kids grow up, and she wonders if she's done enough. They begin making their own choices, not all of them good, and she feels as if somehow she's failed them. And she wonders, maybe, what happened to all those years? And did I waste my time? And so for what it's worth, I just want to say, please, to the moms especially, please, 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 be assured that you have not wasted your time. You got to take the long-term view. And the fruit may not be as visible today as we want it to be. But your hope, remember, your hope, remember, is not in you, but in Christ. And trust your kids to Him. Again, And while you're at it, entrust yourself as well. Again. And moms need to know grace and truth in Christ. Being a mother provides all sorts of opportunity to worry, to be anxious, 
to grow fearful about the future and the future of your kids, but Jesus calls us to a different kind of life, the life of faith, the life of trust that's, that's built upon His grace and truth. In this world, you will have trouble. But moms can take heart because Jesus has overcome the world. Take heart by taking his yoke upon you and learning from him again and again. That's what the people of Israel had to do. We read the Psalms. We read the accounts. They were told over and over in Scripture to remember the grace of God. They were to look back and remember how God called them, how God delivered them, how God provided for them, how God protected them, and how God led them to the promised land. Moms, remember God's grace. When worry creeps in, when doubts surface, when the cares of this world, including the cares of motherhood, when those weigh you down and threaten your well-being, when things seem to be spinning out of control, remember God's truth. Remember who God is and what God has done. Remember what God is doing and what God promises to do. Remember that Jesus is with you, yoked to you, never to leave you. Depend on Him. For to depend upon Christ in a very real way is to be delivered by Christ. And then finally, moms need to rest in Jesus and in their relationship with God. Moms need to rest in Jesus and in their relationship with God. The, the expectations often placed upon moms today are unbelievable, entirely unapproachable, we need to hear this, and utterly exhausting. Moms are expected to be all things to all people all the time, fit enough to run a marathon, Organized enough to handle every last-minute school project. Patient enough to navigate the unexpected. Fastidious enough to, to keep a clean and well-decorated home. Concerned enough to, pre to prepare three homemade meals each day with fresh-baked, now gluten-free cookies for dessert. Resourceful enough to keep a vegetable garden. Ambitious enough to maintain an outlet or a hobby or even better, an income generating business. Spiritual enough to volunteer at the church. And romantic enough to give her husband a relaxing massage after the kids go to bed. That wasn't my idea, by the way. That was something I read. It's a fairy tale. It's a total fairy tale. No mom can live up to this standard. Nor should they try. 
2012 issue of Time magazine didn't help. The cover photo showed a, a young mother um, breastfeeding uh, her four-year-old son under the words, Are you mom enough? Are you mom enough? And that's the question, it seems, that haunts so many mothers particularly those who are raising kids in today's world. Although, as we know, you never stop being a mom, do you? Even when your kids get older and go their way. But from the moms I've spoken to or counseled with or from the few books or articles I've read, it's this question that always seems to surface in one way or another. Am I doing enough? Am I good enough? Have I done enough? Am I mom enough for my kids? Hear this. Yes, you are. Listen. You are the mother of God's choosing for your children. But the question itself is flawed. The question to ask is not, am I mom enough for my children? But rather, is God, God enough for me and my children? Is God God enough when your child gets sick and there's nothing you can do? Is God God enough when an out-of-the-box mac-and-cheese dinner will have to do? Is God God enough when the laundry piles high and the dishes are taking over and the house is a wreck and suddenly somebody stops by for an unexpected visit? Is God God enough when you simply forget that it's Teacher Appreciation Week and apparently your child is the only one who didn't bring a gift? Is God God enough when you don't have the energy to get a massage, much less give one? Is God God enough when your child veers from the path you've set before them? and begins to go their own way. And is God God enough when to do a saving work? Is He God enough to do a saving work in your child's life? Just as He's doing in yours. Moms need to realize that before they are mothers... They are daughters. In Christ, you are prized daughters of your heavenly Father. Before you are a mother to your child, in Christ, you are a precious child of God. You see, fulfilling the the high call of motherhood, this world-changing, difference-making, 
life-imparting call, it begins and continuing, it begins and continues by answering the call of Christ. Come to me, he says, even this morning, even right now, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Moms, we love you. We honor you. We thank you. We thank God for you. And we pray that indeed this Mother's Day would be a happy one, full of acceptance and hope and grace and truth and rest soul rest and relationship in Christ Amen Father we thank you so very much for your goodness and your grace thank you for your love and for your mercy thank you for this day when we pause to pay special attention to the moms in our lives we could and we should do this every day how so many of them even even as we look out at the room today and just think over these lives how so many of them work tirelessly we go on and on about the sacrifices, the prayerfulness, the self-denial, the, the long hours, the heartaches, the frustrations, the hopes, the dreams, the weights, the excitement, all of those things. So we thank you. We thank you. Oh, God, we thank you for these women in our lives. And would you, in a very real, very personal, very powerful way, would you speak to them comfort them, uh, draw near again to them, and bring them to yourself. And then for all of us, Lord, would we hear these words of Jesus, and would we answer the call and find rest for the soul. We praise you through his name. Amen.